Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, I'd like to go over something that's probably been talked about a lot, and um, it is an issue. It's part of a really a, a bigger issue, but um, I'm calling it cracking the code to a keto or carnivore weight loss stall, or really any weight loss stall, and I'll break it down to components. You know, our our journey from saving our lives roughly eight or nine years ago didn't, didn't, it wasn't like I'm looking around for some sort of like special little plan to get better by. We needed help and we couldn't find help. And it was pretty obvious that uh, medicine really wasn't going to come to the rescue. And it was pretty obvious that there wasn't any, any intention. I mean, nobody was trying to murder us, but um, other than Judy's neurosurgeon, who is incredibly insightful and helpful, uh, my docs weren't. You know, they wanted to take out more of my uh, small intestine, large intestine. I mean, they would just keep doing it and they kept them employed. There really wasn't a lot of compassion there and giving the medications and the drugs for this, that, or the other thing. By the way, nobody ever did any surgery on me. So in case you get the wrong impression. So from that, it's, you know, what do we need to do? I thought I had it all squared away. I had my own practice and so on and so forth. So the point of that is at some point in your life, you're going to, figure out that you are on your own. And at some point you have to boil it down to what you really believe is true. So you go to a person and, or you read something and the question you have to ask yourself, do you think this is mostly true, all true, partially true? Can you trust the source? Can you you get in touch with the source? I couldn't do that with most of my doctors. So I was so ill, it clearly passed out of naturopathic hands. They had no ability to help me there. Other than, oh, if you tried this probiotic, let's get over it. And for me, that was kind of a healthy distancing from perhaps my blind loyalty to certain tenets of of naturopathic marketing, I'll call it. I love the tenets of naturopathic medicine, but the tenets of the marketing of, hey, it's this supplement or that supplement, and um, I, I really didn't get very deep with me. And so I had to figure it out for myself. So from that, we developed into... Uh, pre-keto, before keto conferences are out there, um, going forward with it, some tests on ourselves, going forward, getting elaborating on keto, it still was hyper-simplistic for me. And the answers I was seeing at some of the conferences were, were I was always surprised how uneducated they seemed. And on the other side, seemed 
hyper-complicated um, in understanding the metabolic aspect that all of keto is helping to support. And so it was on both sides, highly complicated, nothing that I could really use to treat myself to get better. It's nice that that information was there and intellectually, you know, heavy, thick, however you want to say it. On the other side, it was, what do these guys do for their own health? Half of them didn't, half of them didn't seem that healthy. Some did, um, very much so. Okay, so this is cracking the codes. What do we mean by that? Well, you know, most people come to being heavy and they don't know how they got there. And, you know, we, we know there's an obesity epidemic. We know there's a lot of epidemics out there, but clearly we are a heavy country. The West has become very heavy. Why is that? That's a new thing, relatively speaking. 50 or 70 years is a new thing. And it was done to us. It wasn't that we all sort of collectively decided to be irresponsible and just sit on the sofa and eating bonbons or potato chips or or whatever, and having 14 bowls of Captain Crunch or whatever. No, I, I think that our food supply changed and we are as a direct result of that. So we'll call that processed foods and we know what that is. But I've been saying this to patients for so long and some listen, some don't. But now it comes down to this specifically. I find that we've been under-proteined, we've been overindulged in certainly the omega oils, the seed oils, and we don't work out. And it all goes together. So let's get into what it takes. And so what I, uh, what I consider how people got here is they were heavy. They look for a solution. They um, went to keto and then to carnivore. And now they've heard a protein sparing modified fast. Don't understand what it is. They ask the obvious, how can it be a fast? So it has to do with protein. Well, hence the word is protein sparing. Modified fast, modified is redundant. And uh, it basically means to take protein. So that's pretty, that's a simple understanding. <clears throat> well, from that, um, let's start with the protein. I learned what is required for protein. What is the actual amount? Read a lot of books and so on and so forth. I think there's a number of physiologists, mostly in Canada, that um, uh, Philip Stewart, Stuart Phillips, um, is brilliant and he has a whole department out of Hamilton and a few others and one in the UK and they've really gone deep into what is required, what is required through lifetime, how best to have whole food sources of protein throughout the day. There actually is a thing called muscle protein synthesis. So that's a variable as well. So that has to be taken into account and you can drive that demand in part by exercise, of course, that makes some common sense. So let's get into it. All right, so from that, People go, all right, I've been through these things. Everything's like a special little club. But no, I don't think that the protein sparing modified fast is really a gimmick. I don't think it's a one month thing. Uh, you know, we do it as a, as, a, as a lifestyle, pretty much. I think it really uh, refers to what is considered an ancestral diet. An ancestral diet, and I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago when one of our neighbors brought us some venison both of sausages, venison, and the steaks, venison, and of the ground meat. I guess, can you call it hamburger if it's from a deer? Um, and so we had that, and I realized, wow, this is actually really pretty lean. This is like ultra lean meat. Well, that's what game was. And so back in the days of hunter-gatherers, which we really, up until 10,000 years ago, we were all about hunter-gatherers. And people could say, well, 
we were hunter-gatherers after that as well. Some of us were and some of us weren't. But we evolved on a hunter-gatherer digestive system, on a hunter-gatherer metabolism. And so the what we gathered was very lean meat. We never had extra fat. You know, it was very valuable. So you think of the Eskimos, they're all about fat and the protein and obviously no veg, veggies. And so that does work, but that's what we kind of grew up on. That's what we evolved on. We're talking about over hundreds of thousands of years. Ideally, modern man came in around two, 220,000 years ago. So since then, we came forward with eating pretty much the same thing up until about 10,000 years ago. And then the big animals are gone and we went after the smaller animals. So that reminded me that that venison that we got was protein sparing, modified fast, whole food source of protein, which I always advocate for. And it made me realize like, well, that's in essence what we're doing. We're, we're telling people not to eat fat sources of meat or chicken or fish, but to lean that down. And the initial intent was to help people lose weight, but really it's bringing it down to an ancestral truth, which is everything we ate was lean. There really is no such thing as fat fish. We call it fatty fish relative to fish in general. So salmon is a fattier fish. Um, you might even say cod's a fattier fish. And uh, sable, that's called something else. You know, these northern cold water fish, which have to have a, a thicker fat. They're not like sea lions or walruses or any of that. That's Those are mammals that are fat mammals. But the fish aren't really that much fatter, relatively speaking. So they had lean everything, unless you lived in the poles, in the Arctic, and the Antarctic. Um, okay, so that was a truth I realized. This is actually not so much a diet. This is going back to how we eat. The question then remains, well, how much fat do you need? And do you need veggies, right? Okay, so going forward, so in the uh, PSMF, which is what I'm going to call it, it, the core aspect of that is... You know, you calculate your amount of protein that you require per day, which is your ideal body weight. You can Google that term, and I'm, and it's not about you weighing that. It's simply using that number as a reference for how much protein you're going to need per day. So I'm 5'10 plus, so my ideal body weight, which is not what I weigh, is 162 pounds. So I take that, and it's just, you know, it's a loose number. This isn't rocket science. So it's 162 pounds and it's one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So I have 162 grams of protein I should have per day. Okay, the idea then is to, I got that, check that. Now, if I could break that up into, doesn't even have to be four equal servings, but if I ate it four different times and at no one time did I have less than the minimal amount of protein required to stimulate the maximal, the greatest protein, muscle protein synthesis. So the minimum amount needed to give me the maximum kick. So to eat more than the minimum amount is not going to give me a greater response. It's just eating more food. So when people say, I'll eat all my protein at one time, that is kind of a waste because only the minimal amount is going to be used at that time. It's not like you can park it to the side and you're going to come back later. So that's why you need to spread it out over the day. 
Ideally, if you are a Olympic athlete, you're a weightlifter, a bodybuilder, and your whole muscle musculature is what your life runs on, and you want it to be peak, you make it into five. So in essence, you take your amount that you calculated on your ideal body weight, you divide it by five, that's roughly 20%. And if you had that spread out over the whole day of five eating times, that would be, you'd be able just on eating protein alone, you would be maximizing your muscle protein synthesis. Now you could increase the demand up that muscle protein synthesis by working out. And you could up that by doing the, the best exercises for stimulating your MPS which is high-intensity, weight-resistant, slow, high-intensity, weight-resistant workout. Okay, so you got your amount you need per day. You divide it by three or four, at least three times a day. You would be eating, you know, at least spread it out over the day. Do not have it. So this is not, you're not doing intermittent fasting. You're not doing time-restricted eating. That does not apply. And by the way, if those are interested in going into greater details, I did a whole video on that and comparing the two. So you can see in graphs why you wouldn't do that. Okay, so now I want you to use whole food sources of protein only. You know, there again, these are basic rules. Just use food. Don't go, oh, I'm going to go to my, I'm going to go get the best whey protein concentrate and that's what I'm going to use for my muscle protein synthesis. Why not, don't do that. Why not eat like your ancestors ate? Your parents, your grandparents times a thousand generations before. Do what they did and get healthy as they were, okay? Don't be looking for a hack. Just do the work for a month, and you'll stay out of trouble, and you'll get this done. And after that, the question does become with uh, PSMF, it's like, well, if I'm being fat lean, the idea of using whole foods, by the way, it keeps you out of trouble. So basically, you could do it the whole time, seven days a week, if you wanted to, because you're getting your fat sources with the when the things you're eating. You're, you're eating the the fish, the, the fish, the chicken, the poultry, the meat, and various different variations of that. Try not to have the same kind of thing. Don't always be turkey. Don't always be chicken. Don't always be sirloin. Don't always be, you know, ribeye with a fat trimmed. Um, move it around. Okay. So the only thing you're missing though if you if if you're going to work liver in there is liver and egg yolks and you will have a complete nutrition liver and egg yolks so you'll notice i didn't say anything about carbohydrates or having dark green leafy vegetables which i did tell all my patients to have for nearly the first two decades of my practice now i don't believe that at all i believe that you do need liver and you do need egg yolks and so um it's a wicked simple diet as they say once you get this down it's an ancestral diet for sure Okay, so now you have those things down and you have the idea you're going to exercise. I would, I'm going to call this HIT. So when I say slow, resist weight resistance, right? Slow weight resistance, high intensity training. This is otherwise known as HIT, high intensity training, weight resistance. Go to the gym twice a week. You could do it in 15 minutes twice a week. Judy and I do each other, so to say, spot each other, watch each other. Um, and so it takes us an hour to do it we are our exercises and we make sure we go slow. So the idea of slow is a big deal. We count 10 out, 10 back, 10 out, 10 back. And one is going too fast. We say, you're going too fast. It's really hard. So we've been doing that. And that's made a substantial difference as much as we thought we were doing it correctly two years ago. It got better. Okay. Um, the level I'd like to add is what I call the omega factor is 
becoming a clean burning incinerator. What does that mean? That means with the whole food sources of meat, you're going to burn off your excess, and I'm sure you have excess omega-6. And this has been this excess omega-6, which you can measure, and I want you to go get lab tested and get it measured. So we all know we're, we're all high. I've not met anybody who's with, with the ratio of two to one or one to one of omega-6 to three. So that doesn't exist that I've seen. Most people are high, very high. So let's stop the source of that, which is processed foods, which is the seed oils, which is the nut butters, which is the nuts. So for a month, just your first month, I'm going to ask you to give all those things up. Then you can think about nuts later, but we didn't even do nuts for keto because of the carbs. You choose. That's your thing. In terms of nut butters, we use one in a recipe, sun, uh, sunflower, uh, sunflower seed butters, because it gives a good texture to a certain muffin, but it's a little bit. So you you have some discretion. But initially, let's shut down the sources of omega-6 completely. All right? Completely. Do it. So go get tested. Step two is shut down all your sources of omega-6. You're going to get some, by the way, through your all, all your meat sources. But if you shut your exogenous sources down, it'd be a big difference. And then I would also say, given if you're like me, we're buying our meat and chicken at a grocery store. We don't have a special farmer or special chickens yet. That'd be nice. That's somebody's dream, our dream. Um, those are going to be slightly high. Not really high, but relative to all the other protein, whole food sources or protein sources, they're going to be higher in omega-6. So I'm saying, why don't you back off on the chicken and pork aspects of your diet for the first um, month? Have it once a week or less, or just don't have it at all for that uh, four weeks. That will be a good way to set you up to burn off your omega-6. And what you're going to be finding, this whole omega-6 in you, because now you know it's in you, just get your number and make a little spreadsheet of all those, you know, it's, it's a whole little panel of four or five things. It's not expensive. Um, what you're going to find is when you, for all of us who have had fairly elevated omega-6, it's really like driving with your brakes on, whether it's the handbrake or the footbrake, it just is this heaviness that you always have. And when you find you burn it off, suddenly you gain this lightness and the speed and ability for you to lose fat, not weight so much, well, weight, of course, but fat is amazing. You've removed the obstruction to you being able to lose fat. So you know when people say, I've done everything and I can't lose fat. Well, this is one of the big reasons that's never been addressed because you know, people don't, they go, I know I shouldn't have seed oils. Well, why don't you measure it, find out what the sources are, and not do those sources for a month? This is the difference. This isn't the same old story. This is get tested, identify, remove those sources, move on, and, and discover the lightness of life. Discover it. It's like, wow, look what's going to happen. I, I kid you not. Okay, now we go on from there. And that'd be great if you want to add in you know, you get into HIT, that would be great. Now you've dr you've driven up your demand for uh, MPS. And by the way, if you're over 40, definitely, probably over 20 now since of the obesity epidemic, is that it's difficult as we get older to, it becomes more difficult to build muscle. So you need to stimulate a little more and you need to have a little more protein as you get older. That's those, These are studies. This has been done. So it isn't just Dr. Goldcamp telling you what he thinks. This is out there, um, thanks to primarily the, um, my 
uh, understanding of all that came from Dr. Stu Phillips up in Canada, Hamilton University, who is a uh, um, physiologist and really has this down. I appreciate his work a lot. So um, the last thing is like, what do we use for supplements? Really none, um, but I do use some electrolytes and I use it in this way, not in the way you're thinking about. There's now people got their electrolytes. I use primarily magnesium because magnesium we've always been deficient in collectively as a human race, at least in the United States, given all the food we've been eating. And so I usually have magnesium, <clears throat> magnesium, uh, potassium aspartate, <clears throat> and calcium magnesium, and then magnesium glycinate malate. And those are my sources. And I just sort of mix it up sometimes. Um, I do have some uh, essential fatty acids, DHA, EPA, daily, just two, nothing big. I think it's a big deal. Um, I wouldn't do that until you got your month behind you, by the way, because we're, we're trying to burn off that omega-6. You're going to screw up your ratio if you start having your uh, omega-3. It's going to give you a reading that's going to look better than it is. We're trying to get rid of your excess omega-6. And by the way, this isn't just me, Dr. Goldcamp, saying that. That's me testing a lot of people and learning from people like uh, Dr. Artemis uh, Sinopoulos. Look her up. I mean, I'll put her in the show notes. Okay, and after that, so now we had the ideal body weight. We broke it up into uh, three or four servings a day. Um, what we have, we have a after workout, we, about 8.30, we have some protein. It's not a protein shake. It's usually a last night's leftover, some sirloin, some fish, some uh, Judy's turkey uh, burger sausages. Um it would grab him and have that then late morning, then early afternoon. So that's already three sessions, three different times. We've, we've had something to eat of a minimum. So for me, it would be a minimum of 30 grams of protein. Uh, for her, it's, it's probably about 20. I have to look it up, but hers is certainly a lot less. And then we have a sit down dinner around 530. So that's how our day works. And it's been transformative. And the protein part has been transformative. So this whole idea of protein and protein first, uh, that's not my idea. This goes back 30 years ago. And there's it rises and falls and rises and falls. But I think that uh, putting it in the context of PSMF, it's really an ancestral diet orientation of lean, whole food sources of protein. Okay, so we we go on. And if you're interested, go on to YouTube. You'll see some of these references. And what I've done is I made this amalgam uh, amalgamation of a, a video in which I pulled in the references I've done before. Like for instance, when people ask about intermittent fasting versus uh, eating four times a day, I said they are mutually oppositional. When you do intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, that's because you're a carb eater. Since we're not eating carbs, it's irrelevant to us. In fact, we have to eat three or four times a day for that MPS, muscle protein synthesis. And we go and talk about that fairly frequently. Um, you know, you can get real sophisticated if you want to and wear a CGM or uh, measure your glucose numbers and your ketone numbers. And I used to do that a lot and I haven't done it recently. The CGM is, is nice to see, but I've done all my little tests and so on. I kind of know the answers to them though, on me anyway, but I like to see it on other people because 
that sort of feedback for them changes their behavior, at least in what they eat. And once they see how this works, it's it's a small miracle. So I think this biofeedback, which is what a continual glucose monitor is, and we're just talking about the freestyle Libra, so it's a it's a it's one that's not highly exact. And the really good ones cost about six or seven hundred dollars. That's Dexcom, and you have to pay for the cartridges and so on. It's just great feedback on your blood sugar and you get to see what does protein do what is you know carbs do and everything else other things and how you what happens when you work out these are good things to know so i talk about sarcopenia as we get older because everybody heads down that same path we all get older we all have a progressively more and more difficult time to create muscle mass we all have a more and more difficult time to get the amount of protein that we need in our diets we have to be aware of those two things and then so we have to really be a little more conscious of working out than we were when we were younger. We had a lot of freebies when we were younger. It's a real thing. And there's a lot of studies behind this. And scooting through my notes here, there was a NPR did a couple of pieces back in 2019 and 2020 on processed foods. And it's, you know, over the last 70 years, ultra processed foods have come to dominate the U.S. diet. Do you think? And that's no coincidence. And in that... I think the the biggest part of that, besides it being engineered foods to taste great, is the omega high omega six, the high linoleic acid that's in processed food. That is, you know, going through life with the brakes on. That makes us get heavier and heavier, and makes it even more difficult to lose that fat. It just we are we are fat hanging trees because of linoleic acid, in my view. So this has been a big deal. It's really started about a hundred years ago, but really arced up in the seventies. And so for what we do for our on, on days and our off days is that, you know, we have the, really the only thing that we're conscious of on our on days. And it, for me, it becomes a blur at this point. We're pretty low fat, you know, there again, we get all the fat from our proteins. Um, on the off days is when I have her egg Judy's uh, egg yolk waffles um, or do egg yolk wraps. That's when I come and have my egg yolks. There's plenty of nutrition in the egg yolks and egg yolks, yes, they're high in omega-6. So if you hold the omega-6 for a couple days, like on your weekends or whenever you want to put those off days on, that's a good time to have it. You do need omega-6. I'm not saying you don't need omega-6. You need a little. It's a little bit like vitamin A. You need a little vitamin A. You take more vitamin A, it becomes toxic. So people who are deficient in vitamin A, they have an immune problem and they, they actually are immune vulnerable. So they get some vitamin A and it's remarkable. Their immune system just snaps too and they, you have, they're a healthier person. If they continue having vitamin A, they become toxic. And guess what? Their immune system actually starts getting suppressed from too much vitamin A. So it's like that pretty much with anything. It's a curve. So yes, we need a little when you have too much, which is what has happened over the last 70 years through the processed foods, primarily the the um, seed oils and the nut butters, that this is what has happened. I believe this is the core of our our obesity epidemic. Absolutely. So undoing that. But the good news is, this is very easy to undo. You get measured, you see the numbers, you, you find your sources, you can go on a, to a free app, Chronometer, and do that. And then you address them. And suddenly you are this different person. So to me, that's amazing. So the problem I had with the 
with the omega-6 and omega-3 issue before, it never led to anything that you could either measure or then do something about it. It always said, hey, we're too heavy in omega-6, cut back on your sources. Well, how do, know, how do people know what their sources are? They can say, okay, well, I won't cook in soybean oil anymore. All right, that was a source. If you were doing that, that's probably a big change. But all the other things, for them, they need to find out what their sources are. You know, was it really the pork? I doubt it. I think that would be a component, but it won't be the biggest component. It will be those Doritos that they love to have or something else. Um, some of the questions that come up are, how, how do I consume so much protein? Well, they're actually not consuming that much protein. When people feel this is too much protein, it, what they revealed that they're still eating their carbs and they've added their protein to it. And then it's very heavy. It's too much to eat. If they are doing the PSMF, as I've described it, and they're having whole food sources of protein, then that's not a problem. So I can tell that's their giveaway. They go, no, 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 I don't do any carbs. Uh, they are doing carbs. And that's what happens. So when people say protein spikes your, your blood glucose, yeah, it spikes your blood glucose only if you are already having carbohydrates at that specific time, in that specific meal. And then you bring in the protein, it's going to make your glucose go up even higher. If you're not having any carbs and you just have your bacon and you just have your sirloin steak or whatever it is, not much not very high at all. So that's what you have to think about. So these these partial truths, they're tossed around to make you feel badly about it. And they'll say, well, how do we sustain the world? That's a whole different argument. And I don't buy that one either. But anyway, back to these uh, frequently asked questions and comments. Um, I don't weigh the ideal body weight you refer to. Is this a problem? No, it's not a problem. As I say, if you weigh half that or if you weigh four times that, it really doesn't matter. We're using the ideal body weight as a number to calculate your daily required amount of protein. Uh, next question would be, what if I never did keto or carnivore and I'm just starting now? Well, you'd probably have to go a little more slowly because keto or carnivore people have already fat transitioned themselves. And they probably did that over the better part of three to six to nine months. It's, it's an ongoing process to metabolically adapt yourself to burning fat. So they are ahead and it's hard just to jump in from a standard American diet, which is high fat and high carbs, to suddenly go to a whole food sources of protein. So you'd have to go in baby steps, very slowly. Lower your expectations for the short term. Increase your expectations for the long term. I noticed my ketones decreased and my glucones increased. What's up with that? Well, that is a transition, but then it usually uh, equalizes in time. So it's, it happens for 30 days, sometimes even longer, that you get not high, but if you're... If you've been keto, if you've been keto or carnivore, and you've been measuring your ketones, and you're in your 80s, sorry, right, 80s, you're in um, one, two, five, that, and you start your PSMF, and you go, wait a minute, I can hardly even get to one anymore. Well, that's basically a transition, and I wouldn't worry too much about it because you're, you'll find your ketones will go down, your glucose will go up, your glucose that might have been as an average in the 80s, that'd be nice and you went on to PSMF, it might come up into the high 90s or even low 100s, but it then will creep back down. And it's your mus muscles transitioning to, uh, again, just being fat primarily. Because glucose, glucose, protein does go to the liver and can make uh, glucose, the gluconeogenesis. And it's interesting, what I learned about really diving deep into cat's metabolisms, 
because they are obligate carnivores and dogs are not obligate carnivores, nor are bears, for instance, but cats are. So cats have 11 essential amino acids. We have eight, arguably nine. But so they eat protein for their whole diet and the vet thinks, well, they get some carbs because in the days of being wild animals, they ate the the guts of the things they killed. So they got some secondhand carbohydrates, maybe. Interesting story. But for the most part, if they just ate whole food sources of protein, which is what they do, that they get enough blood sugar from the protein going to the liver to be made into glucose. So it serves both ways. It's a good source of a little bit of glucose, not much. And it's a good source of protein, obviously. Okay. Um, do you could do you do continuous days on or alternate days off? For instance, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday on days on or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday on days off. We do straight four or five days. As I say right now, it's pretty much a lifestyle. I just remember to eat uh, the egg, egg yolks enough uh, at least once a week and I'll have some waffles there and that's that's fine. Um, but I've heard other people like to do it the other way, alternating days. And it's entirely up to them. I don't have any firsthand experience saying one is more efficient than the other. But just doing it, doing it over time and doing it as I, how I have outlined it and backing away from your some of those omega-6 things, uh, you'll find that you have taken the brakes off. And um, one, one page I did leave out is that we have a whole list of videos that you might want to follow, which uh, Judy's done of all the things we make. So make it fun. You don't have to feel you're in prison on a PSNF. So we have a playlist on there. It's called uh, How We Make What We Love to Eat on Our Protein Sparing Modified Fast, from the breads to various things, and it's ongoing. This has been our this has been our objective is to get this point across because we had to save ourselves and nobody could save us. You know, I I was the head of the I was the speaker of the class for my graduating class, so I was no dummy. But yet there was very few people, really nobody that could help me. I had gone beyond their minimum ability to help severely ill person. And that was me. And certainly it was my wife as well. So with that, I'm going to leave you. I hope you had enough of a sequential amount of directions to get you on your way to PSMF and doing it in a whole food source of protein and take care of your omega-6s. Till next time. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcam again for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode Uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H.com. Drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid 
uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of a, just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.